Folks, this is the first episode of Small Room since eight months ago, I think. All it took was a pandemic to get this started again. I am here with Alexander Sun. Alexander Sun, tell them what you're famous for. I don't know exactly what you mean, but uh, I, I'm diabetic now. But <laughs> now I'm famous. I, I don't know. I would say that you're the famous one, Kobus. Um, I'm not a legend like you, but I am a senior at Coral Gables Senior High School. I am almost 18. In five days, I will be 18. And I am, uh, I, I do this thing on Instagram where every day I go to a different person, ask them a question about their life and record it. And then I put it up on my Instagram account and I interview people and it's a lot of fun. Uh, but I haven't done it in a couple of weeks because I got super lazy and I got to get back on top of that. So I think this pandemic is the perfect thing that'll spur me on to start doing my daily interviews again. So you're just going to keep on like interviewing like, okay, because now everyone is in self quarantine. You're just going to go like to your mom or your dad, your brother, just interview them. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to, there's enough time now because of no school that I'm going to find out people's addresses, ask them. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to do this voluntarily and I'm going to go. I'll stay six feet apart if they want me to, but I'm going to interview them. I, we can't stop. I got to get on that coronagram. You know what I mean? All right, better idea. Instead of going to them directly, like as a meme, just like do what we're doing now, like record the Zoom call and interview them, like, and then like send yourself. You get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I get it. But I'm thinking what like, you're doing, you're, you're posting this on YouTube, right? Or yeah, what that's why I wanted to make a video. That's perfect. You know, YouTube is perfect for this kind of thing. But I think uh, from my experience, <clears throat> trying to be a content creator on Instagram, people really do prefer to see video that was taken in person instead of screen recorded. And that's for Instagram specifically, not for any specific reason, but just some feeling I have that that's how people prefer it. And usually when I have feelings about what's going to get a lot of likes on Instagram and what doesn't, it's always right. Um, so I don't know, I, I couldn't do this, but I think for Instagram, it would be even more legendary if I went and person. people down and did it in person. Yeah. Yeah. During, during a pandemic. <laughs> Why not, man? Okay. Um. So just so people get a feel. All right. Yeah. Uh, can you share? All right. Can you see all these videos? All right. I spent yes. like an hour getting all of your interviews, and I no, think. The, all right. Uh, this is from when you ran for student council president. All right. Uh, I don't know if you remember. I made that video for you. Just kind of. It was great, man. Thank you so much. And the why I won, bro. Like, I appreciate it. <laughs> nah, that that that. that you were the reason why you won. Well, you, technically, actually, you endorsed the other person running. Uh, so. Yeah, I did. That, that's why. I was like, I had nothing to do with your victory. Like, right, I, you like I endorsed Jesse. Like, Jesse asked me, hey, can you endorse? I'm like, yeah, you know what? You've been in activities for, like, since the beginning, bro. I, I feel you, bro. I feel you. But I'm – yo, you saved homecoming. I was going to bring that up, but I guess now is the perfect time to bring that up from the – you saved homecoming. Yeah, well, uh, I just kind of advertised it, but it was kind of all of student council that put in all the effort, but I'm proud to, I mean, I, I'm lucky that I'm getting a lot of the credit for it. Uh, and I definitely am proud of all the things I did to make it happen. But to say that I single-handedly saved homecoming would be not giving enough credit to Billy, Rodney, everybody else in activities, like Kristen, Imgard. Uh, wait, shit. And <laughs> That's my person. Oh, and Augie, Augie. Okay, okay. Augie, yeah, yeah. He worked really hard on it, too. Yeah. Um, so, right. <laughs> you know, because yeah, we, we all worked really hard to save it. But especially because we don't have prom now, 
Oh, oh, like we had homecoming, you know? Yeah, like uh, when I found out like prom was gonna be canceled, I'm like, you know what? At least I went to homecoming, and it wasn't just like some schmuck homecoming at the gym. It was a nice, you know, elegant gala type thing at at the UM ballroom, and I really enjoyed it. And for those who don't know, who don't go to Gables. Homecoming at Gables was virtually dead in the water before Alexander Sun and the student council. Last year, they weren't even able to sell like 80 tickets last year. But this year, 600 tickets were sold. And I'm going to do the... There were so many other people. Sorry to cut you off. but No, no, go right ahead. I wish that more people could have gone to Homecoming. We were only going to have two partitions of the ballroom and every partition uh, got 200 people, maximum occupancy. But we sold out 400 tickets by the end of the second lunch on the first day, and there was an entire second day left. So we had to buy the third partition of the ballroom, and that made 200 more slots. But there was still, I would say, we could have gotten like more than a thousand people at homecoming if we had a big enough space. Uh, Cause that's, the demand was so high. Um, and that's good on all of us for advertising it so well, because I'm telling you when that line was, starting at one end of the hallway, going all the way to the stairwell at the other end of the hallway. It was insane. I can't believe it. And I'm really proud to say that we pulled that off. And I just wish all those other people who were in line had gotten to go to because it was a pretty fantastic night. So now if the, now you remember, you said if you could sell, sell out you, Billy, everyone in the student council, Miss Suarez and Mr. Nelson, I think also, would get pied in the face. And I have your interview from when you got pied in the face. So we're going to go to that pie to face. I'm here with Billy Faye. As you can see, something just happened to our faces. Tell me, what was it like getting pied? Uh, it was very cold and I might have a mild concussion. So tell me, why did you just get pied in the face? Uh, because we sold all of our homecoming tickets. So what is homecoming exactly? Uh, homecoming is an event that we're now holding annually. Uh, last year got canceled, but this year we were able to sell all of our tickets, more than what we wanted to sell. So now we're pied. And when is homecoming and why should everybody homecoming be Homecoming is this Saturday, November 2nd. You should go because you need to have school spirit. Are you looking forward to it? And what the you after saying? party. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, of course I'm looking forward to it. So how did that uh, whipped cream taste, by the way? Uh, it was pretty good, actually. All right, thank you so much, and I'll see you there. Boop, boop. Yo, after Corona, bro, you can't, you can't high-five people no more. No more high-five. Oh, that's it, that's it. A little Corona bump. Now, the after party might become the actual prom. And, you know, okay, we're, we're going to, we're going to, is there anything else you want to bring up Model UN? And, like, because right now I feel like we're going to, we're going to go into a spiral of politics and Corona. Because that is what everyone, no? No, I mean, I am totally down to talk about politics and Corona because those are the two things that you and me think about all the time and Corona, everybody else thinks about all the time. But you mentioned Model UN and I just thought kind of bringing in politics, Corona and Model UN all into one. Actually, it's funny you bring that up because uh, I don't know if you know this, people who are watching at home, but I do a lot of Model UN. I'm the vice president of Model UN here at Gables. I help run a conference at the end of the year. That's besides the point. I'm just, I, I love it. It's a huge, huge part of my life and it's a lot of fun, but every Model UN conference is canceled for the rest of the year <laughs> for college students too, every single one. And it's a huge disappointment. So a few days ago, I was thinking, what if they did Model UN online just via 
you know, Zoom like we're using right now, plus you could email the laws that you write called a resolution or a directive. Um, it's like the law you have to write in Model UN. You could do that through email or Google Docs. But I said, you know, it'd be, it'd be too complicated. It can't be done. And then I was scrolling yesterday through the Model UN Reddit page. And lo and behold, Cypress Bay High School from South Florida actually is holding an online Model UN conference. So I email them and I'm like, get me in. And yesterday it said, yeah, the conference is tomorrow. So the conference is today. And so they emailed me back yesterday and they were like, all right, you're in. So I woke up at 10 this morning, 1030. I joined the conference and I got off at like five or six. So for a good like eight hours today, I was doing Model UN and it was intense as heck. You know, we were doing everything the same as we usually do speeches, uh, writing the directives and everything. And it was all through Zoom and the computer, and I did it in my living room, and it felt like a real conference, because it is a real conference. And uh, the topic is coronavirus. <laughs> the committee was Donald Trump's uh, White House Coronavirus Task Force. So all of the people are not representing countries, but they're representing people. And I was representing Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham. And the cool thing about this is that there's two kinds of papers you can write. You can write the directive, which is like an executive order that everybody sees and you have to vote on it and collaborate with other people or you can use your personal powers as a member of the cabinet because you have an entire um, cabinet agency to direct all on your own that you don't have to tell anybody else the secret things you're doing so what i did was i uh let's think here oh i wanted to become the president in 2024 and my platform was going to be I saved the world from coronavirus, but in order to do that, I needed to take Mike Pence's spot as the leader of the coronavirus task force. So the way I was gonna do that is by making Trump think I'm the best one. And the way I got Trump to think that, I got a deal to happen between McDonald's and Donald Trump, where Trump would get free Egg McMuffins, which is his favorite <laughs> food, fun fact, every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And Trump loved it. And so now I am the chair. Stephanie Grisham, press secretary, is the chair of the coronavirus task force. And tomorrow I intend to um, infect everybody in the world with a new disease I created called COVID-20. And uh, then I'm going to cure them all of it because I created it so I can cure it. And then once everybody gets cured, they're going to look at me and think, wow, this person is the best. Let's vote for them for president. And it all ends with me becoming president of the United States. So that fun, is my master plan. Fun fact, you are the first per person I have spoken to uh, that isn't my mom, my brother, or any family member since COVID-19 has canceled school for one month. Okay, Mr. Carvalho went in like one day. Like all of us, all of us like had this 180. We all went from like, this is like a mild flu to like, oh my God, this, this is a real. And, and let's... Because right now, all the activities that, like, all you, you and the student council have been working on, whew, just thrown in the trash. And I know you guys, um, that's my computer, all, we, like, you guys were able to go to Gradabash, but all the other schools had it in the middle of March, and they had to cancel. And prom, senior brunch, all of that is canceled. Let's go yeah. back to a time before COVID-19 rumbled our world. Mr. Coral Gables. So Go back, man. Good times. Good times. Not even three months. We, three months ago, so it seemed like last year, which it technically was, but like it just yeah. seems so much longer than it actually was. 
and me and you were part of the show and we, we did all the practice. Honest opinion. Did you expect first place? I did not expect it. I, I thought that I was going to make top 10 um, because I, I knew that Ms. Diaz liked my talent, but I did not. I, I don't know. I was thinking maybe I would make top five, but definitely not uh, first place. And the only reason why I thought that I would be good enough to make top five is because I thought I did well in my interview. Uh, but I thought that I might not even make top 10 just because I was probably the single worst dancer in the entire in the entire thing. I can back um, that up. <laughs> yeah, you, you saw it. You saw it, man. <laughs> you were a better dancer than me. Everybody was. The day before, I didn't know any of the dances. So I, I went home and I was, well, no, I was still at school and I was thinking like, oh my gosh, I, tomorrow's Mr. Coral Gables. If I make top 10, I'm going to look like an absolute fool. So I asked um, Isa Quintanilla and Melanie as well to the to two amazing Gablets. They both hung out with me for like four whole ass hours after school. And they just taught me all the dances, which was the most generous thing they could do. So yeah, I, I still didn't do them like really well, but at least I knew how to do the dances. I wasn't like super suave or anything. I'm too white for that, but um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, at least I knew how to do them, which I didn't right. the day before. So that was good. But I, I honestly, I did not even step in there th that night at like six or whatever, when he had to be there thinking there's a chance I could win this. Like I, I went, I huddled with everybody beforehand and I was like, okay, whoever wins has to go you're at the end but <laughs> Marlon, I, I, I don't know i was looking at you know who i thought was going to get it honestly was um either daniel toll or uh jonathan gonzalez um and they both made top five and uh jonathan gonzalez got second place so yeah i mean honestly feels good i don't know how i did it but i don't know it was fun all right um, your commercial was around uh, three minutes long, and I have it pulled up. I don't know if you want to watch all of it, but basically the, the gist was you show up late to class. Why should you be Mr. Coral Gables? Because you're fashionably late. And Mr. Dunn and Ms. Gonzalez were in the video saying how you were late, and the best part of the commercial wasn't even the commercial itself. It was the fact that it was posted, like, the day before the show. I made it the day before. <laughs> I made it. All right, who had the best Mr. Coral Gables commercial? One, two, three, Anthony Medina. Oh, it was really good. It was really, I don't know. I'm thinking his was good. I also love Dylan Denham's. And there was one other one that I'm trying to remember that I thought was incredible. But Medina's is definitely up there. Um, I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch all of them. Okay. But I thought it was good. Uh, all right. Um, honestly, I felt like like my commercial was like, Top five, but I'm, I mean, I'm just being like narcissistic, but definitely best one. Go, go. I'm trying to remember. Remind me, just tell me a little bit about it and I'm sure it'll come back to me. Okay. Why should I be Mr. Coral Gables? Because I know how to dance and then it just plays come oh. and get your love for Yeah, yeah. You're with all the teachers just dancing. Yeah, yeah, that was hilarious, man. That was, it was like a good like minute solid of footage of just you dancing, right? Yeah. Just solid minute of me cool. dancing to come and get your love. Now. Ooh, what would be best to play in the middle of this? I'm going to pick a video from one of your interviews. Uh, you want to do, you want to go back to Corona or you want to talk about the, the, talk the about politics, man. Okay. Let's go to Joe Biden. President Biden, tell me what is your 32nd pitch to America's youth? 
You can own the country. You're the best educated, least prejudiced, most engaged generation in American history. But you've got to get engaged in the public process. Plato, to paraphrase him, said the penalty good people pay for not being involved in politics is being governed by people worse than themselves. If people, now high school is a little early, but you can get, I started in high school and organized in high school. But, but, people between the ages of 18 and 25, if they voted the same percentage as the rest of the population, there would have been, I believe it is 5,200,000 more votes. We wouldn't be where we are now. We're counting on you to save us. All right, we'll deliver Thank for you, you so Mr. Much. Biden. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. Crazy, now, man. Now, Joe Biden just pulled a complete 180 out of nowhere. Not out of nowhere. Like, it, there, I'm sure there was, like, some behind-the-scenes stuff to, to, like, get Amy and Pete to drop out. We don't know. But, you know, it's not a coincidence that, like, two of his, two of the people who were taking his votes to drop out, and he dominates Super Tuesday, and he's been dominating everything else. He is going to be our nominee. Now, my question to you is, Based on that interaction and the interaction you had with Joe Biden that day, do you think that the talks about his cognitive decline are as bad as people are saying, or do you, or or do you think it's all completely like BS, or do you, you're in the middle somewhere? Uh, well, I think let's look at it from two different ways. So, if I'm your average citizen, not average, but you know, if I'm if I'm just like watching the, the debates and reading every so often about it. Um, and I, you know, hadn't made the effort to try and go and interview him in person, I would probably be thinking as your everyday voter, yeah, you know, from the public statements he's made, sometimes he does have stutters or things like that. Um, just times when he seems a little bit forgetful, like he couldn't remember Ebola, the name of Ebola in the last debate. I think he called H1N1. He said it was the N1H15, um, which I thought was funny. But that's besides the point because well, for one thing, he had a childhood stutter, which he took, uh, you know, years to try and overcome. So uh, a lot of it they're saying is not that he has dementia or anything like that, but that he is still suffering a little bit from that stutter. Uh, and the other thing is, um, I think it's easy to get nervous. I know that's kind of dumb to say for somebody who was eight years the vice president, but earlier today during Model UN, now I haven't been vice president of anything I haven't been anything for eight years, let alone vice president of the United States. But um, I was doing model UN today and I raised my hand and then I completely forgot. Everybody was looking at me on the Zoom call, like 30 people. And I was like, oh yeah, never mind. I can't remember. And I was just nervous because I was like, oh shit. Okay. So I don't know. That's a bad excuse. But from that personal interaction, and I know I'm long-winded, so you can try and cut out if I speak. No, for it's fine. Go. But from that personal interaction, and you probably already can guess what I'm going to say, but definitely I would not ever suspect that this man has any sort of cognitive decline. Um, and I don't think that he does. I, I think he's 77 years old and he has the mind of a, a mind of a 60 year old or a 50 year old, let's say, right? Like um, most 77 year olds are probably slower than this man is in person and on TV. And so he's doing really well. And I think, okay, just going back and watching that interview, which I haven't actually watched in a while, it, it actually reinforced just now uh, my answer to the question that you just asked me. Because as I was even watching it, I was thinking, man, this boy just quoted Plato, like low key, like shit, I know you're the vice president, but like you also made a joke about having to have an Indian accent to go into a 7-Eleven. So I didn't know that you had all these Plato quotes like backed up, but that was damn impressive. Um, and he 
said 5,200,000 more votes would have been cast in the presidential election and Hillary would have won. It's like, where does that number come from? But shit, you know, like, uh, unless he's really good at BSing statistics, I mean, which most politicians are to be fair, but I trust him. He's good on Uncle Joe. I mean, I just thought from that, from that interaction, it was extremely impressive. Um, you can also insert the meme maybe later in post-production if you don't have oh, it. Oh, yeah, I know. Which I, I'm going to just like put it up there with you and, so and Joe. <laughs> okay, because, you know, I you know, I as a voter, I, like I've only seen Joe from from the debates. And I want like I want to talk to like get that like confirmation from whether or not it's as bad as people are making it seem from a person who's actually met him and had like a minute of conversation. I've read that Joe Biden's strength in politics has always been, even when he was just a senator, the one-on-one -on -one interpersonal retail politicking. Oh. Oh, Definitely. Yeah. So when I was there, before I got to interview him one-on-one, -on -one, I was in the crowd with a lot of other people and he was giving his speech. And even then he was doing the classic Joe Biden, like kind of seems like he's kind of making it up as he goes along a little bit. Not confused, but just, you know, a Joe Biden speech, right? And it was really afterwards when we went into that next room over um, with the people who had been selected by the campaign to meet him. And that's how I got to do it was my, my friend, Chris Wills. He's such a plug. Um, biggest Biden supporter I've ever met. Uh, he's like my mentor. And he told the campaign that I should get to interview him. So he hooked me up and that's how I did it. But in that room that Chris got me into, when he was talking to everybody one-on-one -on -one, and there was this Cuban guy who gave him his like cigar that his family made and Joe Biden was like, Oh, thank you so much. Um, it was just really obvious that he's good at saucing people up, but not like in a malicious politician way. He's like a genuine human being. And I think that's when people really get to know how good Joe Biden is, is when he's talking to other people one-on-one -on -one, and when he's talking about other people, if you go back and watch the debates, you'll notice Anytime he talks about himself or his accomplishments, it's never as effective. I mean, sometimes he makes a good point, but, you know, sometimes he seems a little bit like he's trying to remember what he's talking about. As soon as he starts talking about somebody else and how somebody deserves to be honored or respected, I'm thinking of that time that he honored Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, but there are so many other examples too. Those are his moments when he shines. When he was talking about John McCain, that's classic Joe Biden, and that's the Joe Biden that... I was talking to that time when I was interviewing him, standing next to him, um, when he was talking to Donna Shalala, when he was talking to that guy who gave him the cigar, um, when he was talking to my friend Robert, who's RH, who runs the social media account for Florida for Joe Biden, just because he wanted to, because he's a really big Joe Biden supporter. Um, so that's what I would tell you, is right. if you ever get to meet him or shake his hand, and in the general, he, he's definitely coming to Miami, unless this whole corona thing continues. <laughs> Hopefully then, uh, since you're really involved in politics, you'll have to go to one of his town halls or something and maybe you'll get to meet him. And bro, you will, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Like he's, he's not at all giving the impression that he has some sort of early form of dementia. All right. So that's what I would say. Cause when I saw the debate with just him and Bernie alone, he seemed a lot more focused and he was able to remember things better than when there were like 10 other people on the stage at the same time and yeah. i think i think that's i think that's a good thing because i think like what you said earlier joe biden's better one-on-one -on -one. so i mean that gives me some hope that when he gets into the general 
he'll be able to better de- he'll be able to better debate Donald Trump like he debated Paul Ryan in 2012. Yeah, I'm gonna make a call right now. No, oh, go, like phone call. Go right ahead. Uh, I'm I'm gonna call something like a prediction. Um, oh. So, um, sorry, I got I got. Okay. Here's my prediction is um, because we were talking about how he does well. He did much better in that one-on-one debate with Bernie. um, And I expected that. I also think the pressure was on. And so he probably did a lot of debate prep, especially because he didn't have any, uh, any, whatever they're called uh, rallies. So he had a lot of time to do debate prep, but from what I've read and from what is publicly available, you go and watch his, all of his debates on YouTube his number one environment where he succeeds in debates is the town hall type debates and the kind where you sit down. Like the debate that he had with Paul Ryan was a, a debate where he was sitting down and it was close quarters. There was, there was um, the moderator, or there was Paul Ryan, there was the moderator and there was Joe Biden. They were all around a table. Like it was a friendly conversation. And that's when he crushed uh, that. They said that they left that left the Romney campaign in shambles because Paul Ryan went in there totally unprepared because he thought that he knew what Joe Biden was going to bring to the table, literally. And uh, he obviously didn't know. Joe Biden dominated. So in the general, when Joe Biden and um, and Donald Trump, maybe now I have dementia, um, <laughs> Joe Biden and Donald Trump, when they do that one debate where they're sitting down, um, if they do that, because it's hard to imagine Trump sitting down with Joe Biden. But I, usually at least one of the three general election debates is something similar to that. So it's either going to be the town hall one or the one where he's sitting down with Trump. That's my prediction is the one where he's going to have all the pundits saying, man, Joe Biden killed it. Joe Biden just won the election. That's my prediction. Now, do you think that because Joe Biden's politics are very similar to Hillary Clinton's other than style, which style will give Joe Biden best case scenario. He's got that fire in him that he that he showed in the debate with Bernie and the even bigger fire in 2008 and 2012, putting the style aside, do you think that because his policies align closer with Clinton's, he's vulnerable in the general election to lose like Clinton? Or do you think that some, or do, okay, go. Okay. So you know that I've been a Biden supporter uh, and a moderate person in general uh, from the beginning. So obviously, you know, you're probably suspecting that I'm biased and you probably know what I'm going to say, but, I, I genuinely think that the evidence from what we've seen so far and how people have voted in the primary would support the idea that the main reason why Hillary Clinton lost is because people didn't like the idea of Hillary Clinton herself. And that's unfortunately pretty sexist because I think a lot of the opposition to Hillary Clinton was just uh, not only that she was a woman, but more specifically like the type of woman she was. She, you know, had a very domineering personality, which in a man is called being a strong leader and in a woman is called being a bitch. So uh, people just thought Hillary Clinton is bitchy and is gonna try and preach to them from the White House, which is not what they should think. But I do think that that is what a lot of Americans maybe subconsciously believed. Um, But, so obviously this supports my preconceived opinion, what I'm about to say. But I think that the fact that Joe Biden has moderate policies is not necessarily well, not even not necessarily, it is period, not a problem for the general election, because you look at the Midwest in the 2016 presidential primary, and Bernie Sanders wins Michigan by a lot. And he wins, it was either Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, I believe it was Wisconsin. Also, he wins it quite handily. 
he wins a lot of these important swing states that you need to win in the general. And the fact that Joe Biden dominated in Michigan and is polling in the lead in, I believe, as well uh, in um, Wisconsin, and he just won Minnesota, shows that at least the Midwestern vote, uh, it, it wasn't anti-moderate. It was just anti-Hillary Clinton. And Joe Biden has quite a few Midwestern roots. So I know you said to not talk about the style. So if we're talking just about his policies, I, I don't think that most Midwestern voters are going to be turned off by his a lack of support for Medicare for all. Because um, I think Medicare for all is a really important policy debate that needs to be had within the Democratic Party and in this country. But for, like, let's say I'm, I'm a coal miner from Erie, Pennsylvania that voted for Obama twice and didn't like Hillary Clinton because she said in every debate that she was going to get rid of the coal jobs, thinking that that was going to win votes from people who cared about the environment. But what it actually did was lose her 20 electoral votes from Pennsylvania, for example, right? So if I'm that coal miner, and I'm watching the debate between Joe Biden, who's saying, I don't want Medicare for all, I don't want single payer. On the one hand, we should debate whether single payer is a good policy. But on the other, if I'm that coal miner, and I don't think about these things on a daily basis, I don't care about politics, I care about my job mining coal because I need to put food on the, on the table. I'm going to think, well, I voted for Trump, but now Joe Biden says that he's going to bring my job back. He's from Pennsylvania. He's, um, he's, you know, he's saying all the things that I want to hear about empowering the working class, even though when you think of the words working class, you think of Bernie Sanders talking about the top 10th of the top 1%. But Joe Biden, he's always called himself middle class Joe. And you can say, well, that's just a stylistic choice. He's not actually middle class. Um, I think bottom line, I know I've talked a lot, um, but bottom line is he's going to do well with swing voters, Midwestern voters. The moderate policies he has will not be a liability. Okay. <clears throat> Now, this is an idea that I, I just, like, heard about. And, you know, when I, when I heard it, I thought this was a really great idea. And I know he said he would pick a woman. But what if, and hear me out, he picked Bernie Sanders as his vice president? Good move or bad move to unite the okay. party? So um, predict what you think I'm going to say. What do you think I'm going to say? It's not a trick question. No, Okay. Uh, you, uh, no, sorry, my dad's there. Uh, you, 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 can, you can talk to your dad. Go right ahead. Oh, he's just asking me about dinner. We're going to keep on for 15 more minutes, and then I'll eat dinner. Is that all right with you, dad? All right, thanks. Sorry, Wait, is that all right with you, Kobus? Yeah, that's fine. Wait, you eat dinner at 9? Well, we were going to eat dinner before, but we took a walk. I don't know. Uh, I, I always eat dinner at, like, 3 o'clock. <laughs> PM, bro, that's lunch. That's fucking lunch. <laughs> so I, I have my breakfast at nine and then I have my dinner at three. Now continue. Wow. Okay. Do you, do you want me to think what I think you're going to say? Yeah. Somebody else. Well, but do you, but do you think if I have to say yes or no on Bernie Sanders, I'm going to say that's a good idea or a bad idea? Um, I feel like you would say not like a progressive, sure, to, to unite the party, but not Bernie, maybe Warren. What I would say, and again, this is completely, you already know my opinion on this, is I think in the general election, you, you don't really need to worry about uniting the party so much. Because if the party were extremely fractured right now, and I know that sounds like a dumb hypothetical because most people would say the Democratic Party is so fractured. What are you talking about? The, I would say the percentage of Democratic voters that identify really strongly as like Bernie Sanders supporters 
is probably only like at, at most a quarter of the party, right? And even like, I would say only like a quarter of those people are going to refuse to vote in the general election because Joe Biden is the nominee. Okay. Um, so yeah, sorry, you can counteract me on that if uh, you don't agree. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, now, I'm just basing this off of last time, how in 2016, after the primary, many Bernie supporters refused to vote for Hillary and be, and it was mainly policy based. I feel like, cause I don't think Bernie Sanders supporters have that sexist inclination that might be, appear in the general, like you, like you said. Um, now my concern with Joe Biden is he, I don't think he only turns off Bernie supporters, but he also might turn off people who generally consider themselves to be on the left. And when you look at policy, Joe Biden has made many votes that people on the left would disagree with, like voting for NAFTA, permanent normal trade relations with China, the Iraq War, the Defensive Marriage Act, and well, on defensive the marriage. Bill. I'm sorry to cut you off, but Go. I just want to set the record straight because Joe Biden voted voted in favor of the Defensive Marriage Act, and he shouldn't have. That was wrong. Uh, but I'm not sure when was that in um, when was 1997. That in the okay. So I was going to say Obama voted for DOMA as well. He did it. Um, he wasn't in the Senate. But what I will tell you is that you go back and you watch debates that Obama was in the, against uh, McCain and the primary debates and when Obama was running for Senate in 2004. And you will not catch him saying that he supports gay marriage. They ask him in one of them, do you support gay marriage? And he says, no, I don't. But I do think what we need is civil unions, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so... The and I'm not trying to justify that Obama was wrong on that issue, um, like hardcore wrong. Um, but his policy is the same as Joe Biden's was at that time. Good on Bernie Sanders for voting in favor of the defensive voting against the Defensive Marriage Act. But um, the first president to enter the White House in support of gay marriage is Donald Trump. Um, and I'm not trying to give Donald Trump credit for that. No, 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 no. Don't give Donald Trump credit for no, that. Just real quick, real quick. All right. Donald Trump elects Mike Pence, the most, no, be course. before 2016, the most famous thing Mike Pence was known for was being anti-gay and passing an anti-gay discrimination law. We, we cannot give Donald Trump credit for that. I would rather give Obama credit for that than give Donald Trump, because at least Obama and Joe Biden evolved in the middle of their first term yeah. to, to the position of gay marriage. Now, it's not just that issue specifically. Good on Joe Biden for, for changing his mind, for, for evolving on gay marriage, bankruptcy, Iraq war, all of that, right? Now, my concern is that because he had those wrong positions and he took those wrong positions, that that might scare off, that that would still scare off people. So this is getting into the... It's the debate that is central, not only to the Democratic Party's debate that it's having right now, but just politics in general, which I have an opinion about, but I don't think there's a definitive answer on yet, which is the debate between turnout versus uh, persuasion. And that's a big debate about how do you win an election? So obviously the person who wins is the person who turns everybody out and who persuades people in the middle to vote for them. But generally, you can't do that because you're either a really, you know, ideological person who has a lot of really passionate followers, um, but you don't win over people in the middle, or you win over people in the middle, 
but the people who are very ideological don't think that you're going to bring real change and they'll just stay home because even though you're better than the other choice, they don't see, you know, any difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, for example, or not a meaningful enough difference to go out and vote. They're just going to protest by either voting for third party or not voting at all, which I think is even worse because I think third parties deserve to have a voice in our democracy, but that's a whole other issue. So my opinion on this is that generally um, it's, it's, you're, you're more likely to win the election trying to win over swing voters than trying to increase turnout. Um, and I know that you probably disagree with me, but from what I've seen with the numbers, and I know I kind of sound the cockamamie just by citing some numbers that I can't tell you where I got them from, but I'm trying to think of an example. Um, well, I mean, take the example of the primary so far. The turnout has been tremendous, and some of the states with the highest turnout have voted in large margins for Joe Biden. And Bernie's core argument was that he was going to boost turnout and engage people who usually aren't engaged in democracy to get them to turn out and vote. But one part is true. New people who haven't been engaged in democracy before have turned out um, because that's why the numbers are much higher. But it, from the, the numbers definitely don't suggest that Bernie Sanders is the reason for that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's because Joe Biden is such an exciting candidate that he turned out everybody to vote for him. I think it's just because this is the election of our lives. There's never been a president like Donald Trump before. And people are more engaged in politics now than ever before. Uh, so people are turning out more. But uh, so I, I wouldn't blame it on either one of the candidates. But I would say it's important to turn out as many people as possible. But the loss that we're going to see by not having progressives vote for Joe Biden is going to be a smaller loss than the loss we would have by losing all of the people in the middle. I think, for example, if Bernie Sanders were the nominee, he shouldn't even campaign in Florida because he's lost all of the potential Cuban vote that was going to get him to win those Facts. 29 electoral votes. So maybe his campaign would have to run through the Midwest and Arizona, for example. Joe Biden's battleground is bigger. Um, so really progressive states, I think he'll probably, uh, Joe Biden is going to win California by a lesser margin than Hillary Clinton won it, for example, because uh, I would say Joe Biden is less progressive uh, on some issues that I, I don't know. I just have a hunch matter to Californians, but I'm not Californian and I don't have numbers to back it up. So weird prediction, but like that's besides the point. I think Joe Biden will be fine because those Midwestern states, um, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and you, you flip those three states, just those three states and the, the rest of the electoral map is identical to 2016, then you're the president of the United States. All right. Um, that's how the math, I've, like if you do it on 270 to win. Yeah. Um, so, and to flip those three states, I, I think that Joe Biden is probably better than Bernie Sanders in order to do it because Bernie Sanders hasn't proven that he's able to boost turnout. And what people said were in 2016, people who supported Bernie Sanders didn't vote for Hillary in the general. That is true, obviously but most of it is anecdotal evidence. Like they haven't done polls of who did you support in the primary? Did you vote in the general, for example? So there's definitely people like that, but they've just made a lot of, they've had an outsized uh, part of the conversation because the media focuses on those interviews they do with individuals. But the numbers, I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to say one way or the other whether they did or did not affect the outcome and the reason why Hillary didn't win. Obviously you probably think that's part of it, but I just don't think there's any evidence either either way okay I, I just think this video is funny all right let's react to it i'm here with matilda kit uh she's pretty special all right that's alexandra too we're chilling uh she's studying for indesign right now she wants to be in like the editorial board of highlights 
I want to know what InDesign is, how does it work, and are you any good at it? What do you think about it? Okay, so InDesign is a layout program that we use that's part of Photoshop. No, I, I just told you. I don't understand if I just told you. Like... Alright, so now that we're here outside, I want you to finish telling me... Um... Uh, that was funny. <laughs> I just thought that was... <laughs> This 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 Mario's like all right, bro. No more, in, no more. Just go outside. Dude, right. too good, too good. Yeah, man. Was that the only time somebody's somebody was done with your interviews? Um, no. I think part of it was just because, uh, I don't. Well, never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah. We won't go down that route. Hope, route um, but no, it's not actually. Um, the night of Bridge for Peace, I was trying to interview Clive Sukino, and. Miss Suarez was not having it. She was not. She was like, Alex, stop that bullshit. She didn't say bullshit. Um, I love Miss Suarez, though, but she was not having it that night. But it's fine because uh, right. we did it outside, and we didn't, we didn't uh, annoy her after that, so it was good. But people oftentimes get annoyed. One time I was trying to take a selfie with a tour guide when I was on my mission trip to Guatemala, and my – pastor said Alex it's not all about you stop and I was like shit I probably look like an asshole right now he was right so I took the selfie later um but yeah people get done with it sometimes but you know what it's fun and when people are annoyed I generally try to accommodate them because it's sometimes obnoxious which is fair enough so well you gotta eat um this could go on for hours but you know hey I'm, I would be happy to come on again. This is really fun. And as you can see, I talk way too much. So I enjoy right. the opportunity to, to expound my inner thoughts and desires. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Peace. All right. Take it easy, Kobus. I hope you enjoy your quarantine. Don't get corona. <laughs> All right. Bye, bro. Bye. If you really like this episode, please subscribe or whatever it is you do on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast to add me and make sure that you're available and you can see when future content is uploaded. Thank you. Bye.